Well, good morning, Watermark. Let me start by first addressing the elephant in the room. Why am I on video and not with you in person? Uh, that's a great question. The reason I'm on video is because um, I found out uh, a couple hours ago that the elder team, uh, we spent a lot of time together, and we found out that we had been collectively exposed to a gentleman who tested positive for COVID. And so uh, out of the abundance of caution, uh, we decided to uh, film the message that we're going to be doing. It's about 10.45 Saturday night, and we're, uh, we're rolling tape. So that's why you're seeing me via video and not in person. Uh, in a little bit, as part of what we're going to do today, I'm going to have uh, Kyle Thompson and Bo Fournette, who are on the elder team with me, join me uh, up on these lovely uh, couch and, and, and uh, chair. And I just, just to let you guys know, we have all been collectively exposed together, which is why we're going to be less than six feet apart from one another. So that's that. Now, how are we all feeling now that we have made it past this election? We've, we, we survived the election. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but my guess is if I were to ask you, how is everybody feeling post-election? My hunch is, is that there's a lot of us who still don't feel great about not only the election, but just the way everything moving into the election uh, went down. All the division, the anxiety, the stress. And, and uh, I think it's helpful to acknowledge that a major reason why we as a country felt that way is because of poor leadership. Because frankly, we have a political system that values certain qualities and characteristics uh, that often don't lead to blessing. And so when you have poor leadership, the people suffer. Poor leadership is a really big deal. But it's not just a big deal for our country. It's a big deal for the church. I, would, I think it's fair to say that the decline of the Western church, the decline of the effectiveness of God's church in the West has been largely due to poor leadership, to ungodly leadership, to leaders who serve self, and who value the wrong things. And today, as we jump back into our First Timothy series, we're gonna look at what God's heart is for leadership in the local church. And I want you to hear me, this is a really big deal. I think many of you know I have uh, seven children and four of those children are daughters, ages 16, 14, uh, 12, and four. And as I think about my daughters, particularly my 16-year-old, it's not hard for me to envision a day when there may be a guy that comes into her life that wants to ask her uh, to be his bride. And as a father, as an earthly father, I think about that. And I want you to know, I've got some things, I've got some opinions on, how, on what that guy needs to look like. I've got standards. I've got expectations. I've got a belief system that informs how I think about my daughters becoming brides. And here's the truth. The church is called the bride of Christ. It is, uh, Jesus is the groom and the bride is his church. And when Jesus ascended into heaven uh, and sent the spirit to come and dwell his people to be salt and light in the earth, God has said, hey, while Jesus is away, before he comes back for his return, God is going to have certain folks leading his bride. And if I, as a finite father, have a perspective on what I think a guy should be that's gonna lead my, my daughter, you think God has an opinion on what kind of a person he wants leading his church? He does. God has standards 
He's got expectations and he takes those standards very seriously. And the reason he takes it so seriously is because the church is made up of his children and God knows that the leadership of the church will affect your spiritual life. And not just your life, but the life of every single individual who yokes himself or herself to Jesus and is a part of the local church. And we've all seen that godly leaders can be a blessing, they can bring life, but ungodly leaders, they're not a blessing, they're a curse. Godly leaders bring peace, ungodly leaders bring chaos. And the hard reality is that if we get this wrong, you suffer. So this is a big deal, what we're gonna be talking about this morning. This matters significantly. Now, it's been about a month since we were last in First Timothy because we took the last four weeks to do our God and government series. And so let me just remind you, uh, since it's been a month, about First Timothy. You'll remember that First Timothy was a letter written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's representative at the church in Ephesus. Paul's letter was sent to Timothy to remind him of how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. And the reason Paul needed to write this letter to Timothy was because the church in Ephesus was beset with false teachers. It had uh, men who were leading poorly, and it had some women who were not behaving well within the church. And that's why Paul felt compelled to pen this letter to his buddy, Timothy. And in the first four weeks, of the series, we have covered all of chapter one and all of chapter two. And you'll remember in, maybe in week one, just to jog your memory, in week one of the series, I shared that false teachers have always been in the church. And I helped us focus on the fact that sound doctrine and discernment keeps us from being deluded by them. And in week two, Bruce Kendrick uh, helped us focus on how God's mercy and grace changes our vision and our response to what's happening in the world around us. During week three, David Marvin came up and shared with us, he helped us focus on the fact that God calls his church to be a people who prioritize prayer. And then in week four of the series, I tried to help us focus on God's uh, perspective on roles within the local church and how God wants to unleash the women in the local church. And so you guys, is that, hopefully, does that ring a bell for you guys? You guys are jogging your memory. And so as we pick back up for week five, I wanna help us focus on God's heart for leadership in the local church. So what I'd like to do is I'm gonna read the passage. I wanna make a couple of observations, share some takeaways, and then I'm gonna invite two of the men that serve on the elder team with me to come up here. And we're gonna talk about just some, some frequently asked questions that we get around here at Watermark, okay? So with that introduction, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter three. We're gonna be reading verses one to 13. And here we go. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, 
not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so as we jump into this, I want to uh, just start by making two uh, opening comments. One, uh, (laughs) I just want to take a moment and just acknowledge what is uh, some insecurity in my heart. As an elder at this church, as I prepare to teach on God's qualifications for leadership, because here's the reality. Um, There's a lot of you in this room who don't know me outside of this Sunday morning context. And if I'm being honest, you're seeing me usually at my best. When I have prepared, when I have prayed, um, when I have done my best to not snap at my wife on my way out the door Sunday morning. And so you're seeing me um, at my best. And there's a lot of folks in this room that have known me for a long time, some, some of them decades. And you've seen the inconsistencies in my life. You've seen me struggle with what I'm about to share with you or the character qualities that God describes for leadership. Moments where I've been quarrelsome, where I've escalated with those I work with, where I've been sharp and critical towards my wife or overreacted at my kiddos or times when I've failed to exercise self-control in my eating and my thought life and in other areas of my life. When, times when I've not been hospitable because frankly, I just want to be left alone sometimes. And I just want to acknowledge that there's a bit of insecurity in me as I recognize the inadequacies because these verses, they don't describe somebody who's doing all these things perfect. There's only been one man that's ever walked the planet who's done these things perfectly and he's the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us are in process. And I know that there are moments in my life when the trajectory has not looked great. And I just think it would be helpful for me, it's helpful for me to share that with you this morning. The second thing I want to acknowledge is that as we dive into the details of this passage, let me remind you that what we're gonna see are qualities that God produces in your life. These are not things you can muster. You can't white knuckle these qualities. Jesus Christ, um, as we spend time with him, Uh, and in his word and with his people, we're gonna find that our hearts are transformed and these qualities will increase in our lives. In other words, these qualities are outputs. They're not inputs. And so you ought to really resist the temptation this morning if you hear something or if you hear something you think is more applicable to the person you came with to not feel like I just need to work harder at that. I don't need, I just need to, I need to try harder. That's not what God has for you. And I just wanna remind you before we dive into the details, okay? So that said, Let me read through the passage again and just make some observations as we go. Uh, Verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. The task is noble, not the desiring of the task. The task of an overseer, the responsibility of an overseer is a noble, worthwhile task. And I just really quick again, I wanna point out, Paul uses the term overseer in this part of 1 Timothy. He's gonna use the term elder later on in the letter. Those two terms, Uh, describe the same office. And you see that throughout your New Testament. So when I say overseer, if sometimes this morning, if I say elder, you just need to know those are the same role biblically, okay? So an overseer 
must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. The therefore, because the task is noble, therefore the men who hold that office need to have a certain quality about their lives so that they don't dishonor the task. They must be above reproach. Look, I don't know about you guys, but above reproach is not normally in my vocabulary. And so uh, that just simply refers to the inward and the outward conduct of a man such that there are, are, are no grounds for accusations or criticisms. That's what above reproach means. It means that he can withstand, his character can withstand assaults from within the church and from outside the church. The husband of one wife. Uh, this is probably the most uh, hotly debated clause in this whole passage. And here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that an overseer has to be married, okay? We would gladly welcome the Lord Jesus Christ as an elder at this church. We would, we would be thrilled if the Apostle Paul wanted to serve as an elder at this, at this church and those men weren't married. Um, what I think God is concerned about is fidelity in marriage in a way that is pleasing and acceptable before him and before the watching world. The overseer needs to be a man that is committed to his wife in a way that aligns with God's heart for marriage. He needs to be able to teach. And note, this is the only thing in this list, in either list, this is the only one that refers to any kind of a competency or a skill, able to teach. And Paul is not necessarily referring to teaching in this context, in a one-to-many context, although that could be a part of it. He's saying that an overseer needs to be able to open the word of God and explain it to people, especially in a world as in Ephesus where there were false teachers and there's false teachers in the world today. And so an overseer needs to be able to open God's word and teach it and explain it. He shouldn't be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so as Paul talks about the household, he is making a bridge between the home and the church. He's saying, listen, if a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, if a guy can't steward and, and, and lead at his home, he should have no business trying to do that at the church. There shouldn't be a disconnect between his home life and the way he leads outside. There's a direct correlation. And this reminded me as I was preparing, when Missy and I first got married back in September of 1998, 22 years ago, um, I was taking third semester Greek at Dallas Seminary. We were living in Denton. And so I was working in Dallas, going to school in Dallas a couple nights a week. And so right out of the gates in our marriage, within the first month, I'm spending a couple nights per week late down at Dallas Seminary trying to survive third semester Greek, coming home late. And on those nights when I wasn't in class, I was staying up late just to keep my head above water. And my sweet newlywed bride was finding herself crying herself to sleep, trying to figure out why doesn't my husband want to go to bed with me? Why doesn't he want to be in the same womb with me to go to bed? Like that's what newlyweds do. And yet I've got my dumb Greek textbook out there and it occurred to me, hey, this is not a great start to the marriage as I realized how I was discouraging my wife. And so I called my academic advisor at the seminary and I said, listen, I don't need three options. I need you to tell me as a young 20-something, what should I do? Here's the situation I'm in. And he said to me, Dr. Burns, Dr. Lanier Burns said to me, hey, Lev, you need to drop third semester Greek. If you don't have a marriage, you don't have a ministry. The seminary, third semester Greek will be here. You focus on loving your bride and being all that God has called you to be as a husband. And so I dropped third semester Greek 
And I began to love my wife in a way that brought her life and encouragement. And so men, part of leading our household means being present. It means we show up. It means we teach. It means we disciple our kids. It means we discipline them out of love when we need to. It means we live in our wives in an understanding way. That's what it means to manage your own household well. And by the way, I am still waiting to take third semester Greek. Keeping his children submissive. Does this mean that, that all the children of an overseer need to be believers? Well, the answer is of course not because that's not something we do. That's a work of God. If God does not touch the heart of my children, then they will never come to faith. And so I pray, I do all that I can to lead them to the throne, to lead them to Jesus's feet. And then I trust God to do the work there. But what this does mean is if my kids decide to go their own way, they better not be able to say, I'm, I don't believe in this Jesus because I've seen the, the hypocritical life my dad leaves, leave, lives, the hypocritical wife that I see from my mom. They, they, they were uh, abusive emotionally. They weren't present. They were absent. And so, yeah, I don't want to follow that Jesus because if that's what he produces, I don't want any part of it. That would be problematic. But if that child says, listen, I don't much want to follow Jesus, not because of my dad. My dad was a great dad. He was present, but just because I want to go do my own thing. That's what I think Paul's talking about in this keeping his children submissive. He must not be a recent convert, verse six, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so we should take time before we put somebody in a position of leadership. We shouldn't rush that. Spiritual growth takes time, measured in months and years, not days and weeks. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul ends the section on overseers a lot like he started it. So if uh, needs to be above reproach is an umbrella statement, needs to be well thought of by outsiders is a broad statement. And we've talked about this in week one, that the way the church met, gathered, that it was open for outsiders. And so Jesus is very concerned that his bride represent him well. And so he wants to make sure that leadership in the church is well thought of by outsiders, that they're not, they're not um, poorly thought of because of poor conduct. That's what's going on here. So that's what Paul talks about overseers. But then he keeps going. He talks about deacons. He starts this other section in chapter and verse eight. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And when we use the term deacon, this is a deacon is a guy or a gal that helps care for the day-to-day needs of the church. And this, this kind of comes out of Acts 6 uh, is where we think the model of, for the deacon came from when, when they had some men who helped care for the widows in the early church. And it says that, uh, that they must be dignified. And so these men who, can, who play a complementary role to the elders or the overseers, these, these men and women as a complementary role, they, they need to be dignified. And so just like above reproach is a blanket statement, an umbrella statement, must be dignified is the same kind of a way. It, all the other qualities kind of fit underneath of that. Their outward lives must reflect the inward transformation of Christ. And they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so this translation of this verse actually varies. Your verse, what you're reading may say what I just read. You may have a Bible that reads, uh, women must likewise be dignified. So it's either their wives likewise must be dignified or women must likewise be dignified. And the difference in the translation reflects an answer to the question, can a woman be a deacon or a deaconess? And based on scripture, Romans 16 talks about a woman named Phoebe who appeared to serve as a deaconess in the church of St. Crea. And some other nerdy textual things, I would say, I think the right answer is that yes, women can serve in the role of deacons. 
And because they can, they need to be likewise dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. And just like an overseer, the deacon needs to demonstrate faithful at home prior to stepping into any leadership role in the church. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we've walked through the passage. Let me, let me zoom out my lens a little bit and give you two, takeaway, um, two takeaways from these verses. One, when God describes a leader, he prioritizes character over anything else. These lists are character-focused. They're not focused on competencies or how much cash is in somebody's bank account or someone's charisma. This is not a list of what kind of skills does a person need to have. This is a list of what kind of heart does a person need to have. Let me say that again. This is really important. This is not a list of what kind of skills does a person need to have. This is a list of what kind of a heart does a person need to have. And too often in the church, we operate like the world and we elevate those that have the most money or are the most charismatic or the most gifted or the most best looking, clearly not in my case. We value things that the Lord does not value and we do so to our great detriment. Uh, one of the things I like to do is, is I like to teach Bible using scripture. So I wanna, I wanna show you from somewhere else in scripture what this looks like. So if you go to 1 Samuel 15 and 16, you see where King Saul, who is the first king of Israel, is rejected by God because he wasn't obedient. And if you go back to 1 Samuel early and you see how Saul was chosen, he was, says he was from a wealthy family, he was super tall. Like all the things about Saul that are mentioned in terms of his leadership are all irrelevant to what God values. And so God rejected Saul because he wasn't obedient. And he's gonna send his guy, Samuel, to go anoint the new king. And we see in 1 Samuel 16, we see this play out. So Samuel is sent by God to a guy named Jesse. Jesse's got some sons. And God's telling Samuel, hey, the next king is gonna be found within this family. And so it says when they came, when Jesse and Samuel came, they looked at Eliab, Jesse's oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height, the stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse calls Abinadab, his next son. And God says, nope. And Jesse brings all of his sons one at a time. And God says, no, 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 no. Samuel's like, well, I don't understand. Are these all your kids? <clears throat> and Jesse says, well, no. We've got this one young kid. He's out in the field. He's keeping watch over the sheep. He's our youngest. It's, I mean, of course it wouldn't be this guy. And Samuel says, hey, we're going to wait until he comes. And wouldn't you know it, the kid that's tending the sheep in the field, the youngest, is the guy that God puts his hand on. Because God does not look and does not see the way man sees. God looks at the heart. Man focuses on the inward appearance. And it is critical that within the church, we value the things that God values. And over and over again in scripture, God desires a heart that is fully turned towards him. And can I just say, as gently as I can, as I look around our body, Sometimes I get concerned because I see some of us valuing things that God doesn't value. I see guys valuing things and as they're looking to date, I see them valuing the wrong things. And can I just 
meddle for a moment here. I have three of my daughters are in small groups that are led by um, many of them single godly women. And I want you guys to know, I don't understand. When I look around at the single godly women at this church, I don't understand what you single men are doing. I don't get it. And part of it makes me wonder, are you guys valuing the wrong thing in women? And so I would just say gently, put your Xbox controller down, pick your head up, and go ask some of these godly women on dates. Okay, off my pedestal. I see some of the ways we think about and evaluate what we want our spouses to become. I see the way we value, or we, we prioritize our kids' schedules and our activities, and it makes me wonder, are we focusing, are we valuing on the wrong things for our kids? I see the types of people that we wanna be in community with. And sometimes I wonder, man, I think, I think you're valuing the wrong thing. If, if you're asking these questions, if you're not starting from what is the heart, what is the character of this person, then you might be prioritizing the wrong thing because when God describes a leader, he prioritizes character over anything else. Number two, what God requires for leaders, he desires for every believer. What God requires from his leadership within the church, he desires for every believer. The character qualities we need to see in our leaders within the church are the same character qualities that the Lord wants to produce in you. Colossians 1, Paul writes to the church, not to the leaders, but to the church, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled you in his body, uh, in his body of flesh by his death. In order, why did Jesus do that? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so what God requires of his leaders, he desires of everybody. And there's good news that the fact is we're all on a spiritual journey and we're at different places and God wants to produce these qualities in you. And the more you spend time with Jesus, the more he's gonna produce change. The more you abide with Jesus, you're gonna find an increase of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I could read dozens more passages that lead to the same point. What God requires for leaders, he desires for every believer. And this change, as I mentioned earlier, does not come about as you white knuckle it. You don't need to try harder. You don't need to add more to your plate. You need to raise your hand and admit, I can't do this. I need to stay by Jesus' side. This is what Jesus meant in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, we don't use the term abide much, but that just means you're staying close to Jesus. You're remaining with Jesus. And so when Jesus says, abide in me, he's saying, stay with me. And the way we have these character qualities in abundance is to have our heart transformed. And the way that we have our heart transformed by the love and the kindness of God is by being with Jesus. The best way to prepare yourself for spiritual leadership is to spend time with Jesus. The best way to prepare yourself for leadership is to spend time with Jesus. So when God describes a leader, he prioritizes character over anything else, not their skill set, not their bank account, not their charisma. And what God requires of leaders, he desires for all of his believers. He wants us all to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So now what I wanna do, I wanna invite my friends up, Kyle and Bo. These are two of the men that serve with me on the elder team. And um, we know that there's a lot of folks in our body who, who don't know us and have not been members at Watermark very long. And, and we get questions asked to us, honestly, uh, rather frequently. So we thought it would be helpful 
to answer some of these questions together. So really quickly, why don't you guys introduce yourself and share how long you've been on the elder team? Absolutely. My name is Bo Fournette, and I've had the privilege of serving on the elder team for the last seven years. My name is Kyle Thompson. Uh, my wife and I were in the first membership class, uh, had the joy of serving as an elder for 16 years and rolled off about three years ago, and then I got to jump back in two months ago. Awesome. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we get, uh, we get a lot of questions, and so I uh, thought we would use this time to help answer some of them. So Kyle, why don't we start with you? Um, how, what does the elder team do? How do, you, how do we prioritize our, our, the tasks or the things that are coming at us? And, and then how much time, I mentioned earlier that we spend a lot of time together. How much time do we spend together? Well, uh, as I think about that question, I first want to give uh, context to really our role in life, uh, regardless of our positional role. And it really touches on some of the things you mentioned earlier, David. Uh, we know from Scripture, uh, Matthew 22, that my first priority in everything is to constantly be abiding and deepening in intimacy with Christ. And then second to that is that I love the people that God brings across my path. And then we know from Mark 10 that in every leadership position that I have, my focus is really to serve and to care for and love the people that I'm responsible for leading. And so uh, because of that, uh, we spend significant time every week making sure that we do four things. And Number one uh, is our relationship with Christ. It's our devotion to Christ, making sure that, that we're walking uh, through life in ways that are informed by Scripture, that, uh, that God has our heart, that He's growing and convicting us as we walk by the Spirit. And then number two, because we're all married, that we are loving and serving our wives so that we can have the marriages that God really desires and intends for us. Uh, number three, that we love our kids, and for me, my grandkids, that we pray for them, that we encourage them, that we're investing time in those relationships. And then number four uh, is really our mutual submission uh, as we shepherd each other. And so you heard David mention that we spend a lot of time together, and, and we do because uh, we're constantly encouraging, uh, sharpening, we're learning from each other just how God is growing and convicting us. And it's critical because we've got to walk uh, in unity of the Spirit. And so there needs to be a depth of relationship and trust for us just as we get to, to lead together. And so as we're all doing that, then we each individually every week have opportunities to, to jump in and spend time with our staff and with our volunteer leaders so that we're caring for them and, and caring for the needs of the ministry. And then because we really shepherd our body uh, through our community groups, then we get every week uh, detailed updates from our community team on individual groups that allow us to, to pray for them in more informed ways. Uh, it allows us to, to celebrate just the health and growth of our groups. Uh, it allows us to give counsel when we see that there are community groups that are struggling or hurting, and, um, and, and from time to time, uh, we will uh, jump in if, if the situation dictates that we need to be directly involved. And then lastly, you know, as I said, we spend a lot of time together just praying for 
uh, our members, for our leaders, and for each other. So it's, it's not uncommon, you know, for all of that to add up to over 15 to 20 hours a week. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, Bo, I'll throw this next one to you. Uh, we get this, this is maybe one we get maybe the most, is uh, why is the elder team so small? And, and how is it possible for, for Kyle and Bo and David and Brian Buchek and Mickey and Todd to effectively shepherd such a large church? Absolutely, that is a, a common question. And um, you know, most of our 20 years, we've had four to five elders. Right now we have six elders and uh, we spend most of our time in you know, that four to five to six range. And uh, a number of other churches will have eight to 12 elders and people are curious, why don't you uh, have eight to 12 elders like, like other churches? And I'll just go back to what our core focus is. And, and really it's two areas. The, the first thing that you know, Kyle touched on is the whole idea of shepherding one another. Uh, we need to first and foremost say, follow my example as I follow Christ. Um, and to do that, we need to really know one another. And it's, it's no coincidence that most of our community groups uh, on the single side are four to six men or women. And with our couples, it's four to six couples. And it's just a level at which you could really know one another. And with six elders across four community groups. We're, we're trying to shepherd one another in our community groups and then have the, really the same level of care for one another as elders, and it takes time. Uh, and then uh, the second thing it, where we could really fall short, if it's not the follow my example as I follow Christ, is if we lose focus of the main things that elders are supposed to do in a church. And we really see this happen really early in the church and in Acts 6, where the elders were getting pulled to things that were really important for the church, but it was not their primary focus. And so they found other faithful leaders and they appointed them to lead in certain areas and they really focused on their main thing. And for us, there's really two areas of utmost importance to us. Uh, the first one is just doctrine, uh, making sure that we are dedicated to the word, just as you see uh, in Acts 6. And so you see that with you know, our seven essentials, which is what every member agrees to. Uh, we also have our full doctrinal statement that we ask every member to agree to, and we expect every leader uh, to be aligned with us uh, in all of those areas, even beyond the seven essentials. Um, and then you know, we go through things that are just current events where we feel like we need to jump in and we need to equip because they become relevant topics. And so recent ones are you know, role of women in the church, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, in vitro fertilization, jumping in and, and uh, figuring out what does God's word say about those things. And, and it's not just the six elders that are jumping in on that. We're relying upon faithful leaders like our equipping team on that. Um, and then the second area where we also rely on people is in the whole idea of shepherding the flock of God that's among us. And Kyle spoke a lot on that, so um, I'll be brief, but you know, things like our membership covenant is a picture of what we think a fully devoted follower of Christ looks like. So making sure that we continue to assess what are we calling one another to, and then jumping in with our 10 or so community directors and our 300 community shepherds that are pouring into every community group, which means they're pouring into every member at Watermark and jumping in and helping them and making sure we don't lose focus on those things. And so if we could stay faithful to Christ ourselves, and then stay focused on what we're supposed to be doing as elders in God's church, then the, the issue is not whether or not you have six elders or you have 12 elders. The issue is, do you have the right elders that are following Christ and then focused on the main things that elders are supposed to do in a church? Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Kyle, why don't you, uh, another question we get is, 
what role do our wives play in the way we lead together? Uh, what, what impact do they have? Well, in, in one word, it's, it's huge. Uh, you know, Genesis 2 talks about how when we get married, uh, the, the two become one flesh. And so when you think about that, uh, there's no aspect of my life that Lucina is not a part of. And, and that's true for all of us with our wives. And so, uh, you know, it, it's invaluable for us. Uh, God uh, made my wife different. Uh, she thinks differently. Uh, she has different gifts. And she gives me uh, just incredible insight. And, you know, as, as I share with her just uh, issues that we're wrestling with, decisions that we're making, then it allows her to, to bear that burden with me as we walk through life. And, and also, you know, more importantly, just offer uh, uh, counsel and discernment that's really helpful because uh, our wives know uh, our weaknesses and our shortcomings. And, and so God uses our wives in significant ways to help us be uh, the men and the elders that God intends for us to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Uh, Bo, uh, here's one. Uh, we actually just recently tackled this, bringing uh, Mickey Frederick on the team. How do we vet a potential candidate for the elder team? Uh, yeah, that's something that uh, we're constantly doing, and then we get to points where we introduce candidates uh, to be elders. And so the first thing is we got to go to God's word and we say, what are the qualifications for elders? And, and David talked about that with 1 Timothy 3. We also see it in Titus 1. And so what are the qualifications? The second thing, and we'll be teaching on this in a few weeks in 1 Timothy 5, talks about not being hasty um, or too quick in, in adding leaders. And so making sure we are thoughtful about that. Uh, but then God in his grace balances the don't be hasty with also, I love the picture um, at the beginning of Acts where they're trying to uh, replace Judas and, and find another leader. And they narrowed it down to a couple of people and then they cast die to see who the next person was gonna be. And just resting in God's sovereignty and recognizing that uh, we need to trust in that even as we're not hasty. Uh, and then finally, just remembering that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with fools suffers harm. And so this is a big deal getting it right, and it's really painful to, to come to a wrong answer. And so with that as our biblical backdrop, uh, we spend a lot of time praying about this and that just God would show us the, the right man, protect us from our flesh and identifying men. Uh, we ask others often to say, who are the men that uh, we should be considering to be in the role of elder with us? Um, and then as we go through that, we try to seek unity. And when a, a name comes up, then we go into more focus with that. And so we spend time doing ministry with someone. And there we can see, can really see somebody's doctrine uh, when they are in pastoral care situations. And it's not about just knowing God's word. It's how do you apply it? How do you serve people? Um, how are you careful and gentle? How are you still not being a people pleaser? And so you see those things. And then we also have a, a list of 36 topics that are important to us. Uh, we, we don't want to invite somebody into the role and then find out where they stand on important issues. And so we go through that ahead of time. Um, and then once we go through those things and we're doing ministry together, we spend time with their wife, um, their children, if they're at an appropriate age, we spend time with them, their community group, um, their coworkers in the office, and then we present it to the body. 
Um, and so we go through all of those things uh, before we're ready to invite somebody to be in the role of elder with us. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, last question. Uh, you, I just spent some time unpacking the qualifications of deacons. Uh, do we have deacons at Watermark? I would say yes, we do. And, and we have them because we see in Acts chapter 6, as I mentioned, uh, there are far too many things uh, to do in the church that people with just one focus in gifting uh, could be doing. And so uh, they were told to appoint people to serve with them on things that were important, and we've done that. And so I look at everybody that's on our staff um, is a deacon. All of our community shepherds are deacons. The leaders in region small groups or close groups and re-engage and prodigal and women's Bible study and summit, they're deacons. We don't use the title deacon, uh, but those are trusted leaders who are fulfilling the same roles that we saw in the church going back to Acts chapter six. Awesome. I really appreciate you guys jumping up with me. Let me, let me close this in prayer if I could. Heavenly Father, we want to, um, we want to thank you that you have not been silent on the types of individuals that you want to lead your church. And I do, I pray, Father, for the elder team at this church, for, for Bo and for Kyle, for Mickey and for Brian, for Todd, and I pray for my, myself, that you would, uh, you would protect us, um, that you would guard our hearts, that you would keep us from doing anything that would dishonor Jesus, that would, that would hurt the ministry. Would you... Keep us from, our, from hidden sins, from, from presumptuous sins. Help us to walk um, humbly before you. Father, thank you for the, the hundreds, as Bo mentioned, of men and women who are serving um, uh, this body and the day-to-day needs and that are functioning as deacons around this place to, to help care for our body. I pray, Father, that um, you might bless them and protect them. You might increase their, um, their influence among those that they're leading. God, I pray that, uh, that this would be a place that produces uh, the kind of uh, characteristics that we've read in 1 Timothy 3, that your spirit would be so present in, this, in the lives of the individuals in this body that we would, as we abide with you, that we would see more and more and more of what's in 1 Timothy 3 in our own hearts, that we would be um, not quarrelsome, that we would be self-controlled, that we would be above reproach, Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would grow our hearts and our affections for you. And I pray, Father, if there are folks in this room who don't yet know you and have not had the privilege of being introduced to your son, that, that this morning they might for the first time come to realize their great desperate need for a savior. And they might raise the white flag and they might come to know Jesus. I pray that you would use us in any way to help that happen. We thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his death. We thank you that you, wrote, you raised him from the dead and declaring victory over death and over sin. And we thank you that as he has ascended into heaven, that we know that he is coming back one day. And so while we wait for him to come get his church, help us to be men and women who lead well. We give all this to you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.